Good evening. It is good to be with you this evening. I am from the Northwoods Congregation in Hayward, Wisconsin, and many of you know me better than I know you. I see you periodically throughout the winter, and I know your faces, but I don't know your names. So hopefully I'm, I am looking forward to getting to know you better this week. My wife, Julia, and our four children will hopefully be coming on Friday to be with us here for the weekend, so I'm already looking forward to that. Dale Heisey has described the work of a minister as a vessel, someone who takes something and brings it over here. And that is my goal this week, to be a vessel bringing something from God to your hearts. The problem is that I don't know what your needs are. That's a problem to me, but it isn't a problem to God because this same book that is milk to the brand new Christian is also the same book that is meat to a more mature Christian. And, and Dennis said this earlier, the word of God is relevant to wherever you are in your walk with him. So if something good happens this week, I am the vessel bringing it from God to your hearts. I've been told that you have been praying for these meetings. I hope you've been praying for me, and I trust you've been praying for your hearts. If you have been praying for these meetings, are you ready for the revival that God could bring to your heart? Are you ready for whatever that might be? Are you truly ready? or whatever that might be. It could be uncomfortable, whatever God may be asking you to do or to change. Because in my experience, I've found whenever my faith is stretched, it is not a comfortable thing. But the Christian life was never designed to be comfortable. That's not how we grow. So I'm asking you tonight, are you prepared... Are you willing to accept whatever revival God has for you? Are you willing to accept that? Because if you're not, I'm wasting my time. Tonight, there are three questions I'd like to present to you. The Bible is full of questions, but there's three questions in there I want to look at. God is searching for one kind of people. The title of the message is God's Search for Man, and we may say that's backwards. Man has been searching for God. But the subject, the title is God's Search for Man. And God is searching for one kind of people, and that is people that are not where they should be in their walk with him. It might be the kind of person who has allowed their Christian walk to grow stale and they've lost the joy that they once had. It could be the person who has wandered from what you know is right 
It could be the person who has never accepted Christ into their life at all. Either way, it is someone who is not where they should be in their walk with him. And God is searching for that kind of people. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Verse 10, 11, and 12 are familiar verses. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. You notice the spirit in this psalm is... The psalmist is seeking refreshing and a revival. He's saying, I'm not where I should be. Renew. It means it had been there once, but it isn't anymore. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore the joy of thy salvation. To my shame, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I allow my salvation to become commonplace. And I don't take it, I don't find the joy in it that I should. I forget who I was and I take for granted of who I now am. And when we do that, we lose the joy of our salvation. I forget the price that was paid. And David is asking here for God to restore the joy of his salvation. We are leaky vessels. We are filled with God's goodness and God's grace and the teaching of his word. But we don't retain it. We are leaky vessels. It leaks away and we need to be restored. We need the joy to be restored in our life. In the Sunday school lesson last Sunday, the first verse in the lesson text said something about he opened the gates and repaired in the temple. Hezekiah opened the gates and he repaired. That needs to happen in our hearts. No one else can open those gates. You need to open those gates and allow God to touch whatever needs to be repaired in your heart. Lamentations 3, 40 and 41 says, Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Now, I'm not saying you all are in desperate need of revival. You are falling away. I'm not saying that, but I believe that you are human enough. I think every one of us comes to a place where we need to be shocked back into a vibrant walk with God. I did some work for a man, quite a bit of work. I'm a, it started out we remodeled his house and now I'm kind of his caretaker. He doesn't live, it's not his permanent residence, it's his second home on the lake and I kind of take care of it for him. And I found in working with him for the last eight or nine years 
that if I can present one of my ideas to him and make it seem like his idea, it'll, it'll work. But it has to seem like his idea. And that's how it is with a lot of people. Probably with me. If you give me, if you try to impose your thought on me, I'm not as likely to own it as if you can give it to me and make it seem as if it's my own. And I wonder if in a way, God does that to us. In some of the questions he asks us, he doesn't ask us questions because he doesn't know the answer. He asks us questions to bring us to ourselves and come up with the answer on our own. Then we have to own that answer. He asks us questions to spur our thinking. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 for the first question I'd like to look at. Genesis 3, verse 6, 6 through 9. Genesis 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for, for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? That's the question that God is asking you tonight. Where art thou or where are you? This question was directed at Adam and his wife Eve, not because God didn't know where they were, but it was given to them, it was asked to them, so that they would have to ask themselves and they would have to own the answer. Where are you? They needed to face reality, consider for themselves where they were. Francis Thompson wrote the writing called The Hound of Heaven. Listen carefully, I'm going to read part of it. Listen to it carefully. It says, So my pursuer persisted, never rushed or agitated, always steady, constantly in control. And continually I heard the accompanying voice that spoke above the sound of the footfalls, now saying, There is nothing which will hide you, you who will not hide me in your heart. The chase continues, the pursuer coming closer to the one pursued, never rushed or agitated, constantly in control, and always the voice, if anything, faster than the feet, Listen, nothing will ever bring contentment to you, you who resist contenting me. When I read that, my mind immediately went to Psalm 139. It says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Where can we hide from God? We understand that. We know we can't hide from God. 
And yet God asks us, he says, where are you? The question of where are you is a difficult one to know where to start answering. Where do you start answering a question like that? Where are you? There's a few possibilities. You could answer by saying, I am where I should be. And praise the Lord if you can do that. You might answer, I am not where I should be. You might answer, I see where I should be, but I am not there. You might answer, I am content where I am. But God is asking, where are you? The longer we postpone answering this question, the harder it will be to answer. And we do that. We postpone questions like that because they aren't fun to answer. We don't like the answer. Genesis 3 here in verse 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were opened. They realized they were not where they were supposed to be. Adam and Eve realized when God asked them, Where are you? They were not where they were supposed to be. I think this phrase, where it says, The eyes of them both were opened, is the same idea as in Luke 15 in the story of the prodigal son. You know the story where he had hit rock bottom. He had nothing left. And what does it say? It says, and when he came to himself. I think it's the same idea. The eyes of Adam and Eve were both opened. And this prodigal son, he came to himself. It's when the light suddenly comes on and we realize we're hit with the reality of we are not where we need to be with God. When that happens, when our eyes are opened or we come to ourselves, we are faced with a question, an unavoidable question of what are we going to do, a choice. What are we going to do? And doing nothing is a choice. So when God asks, where are you? What are you going to do? What's the choice? For some reason, I think the shallower and we measure depth of sin by the consequences, I think. And for some reason, I think that a, something I do with few consequences is easier to gloss over. It's not a big deal. We're faced with the choice of what to do. We can face God or we can hide from God. Adam and Eve chose to hide from God. But when you think of it, facing God and hiding from God really, really is the same. They could have faced God and admitted their sin. By hiding from God, they were admitting their sin. What's the reason to hide if you have nothing to admit? It's the same thing. Because if you admit you can admit your sin to God because you're going to do it later if you don't now. It will happen. So you can choose to admit your sin to God or you can hide and in doing that you're admitting your sin to God. 
They chose to hide to either ignore or postpone the judgment of God. If they had confessed their sin, if they had come to God confessing their sin, God would not have needed to ask, where are you? They heard God walking and then they hid. Confession and repentance. Confession is the admission that I am not where I should be. When God asks, where are you? Confession is the admission that I am not where I should be. Repentance is returning to where I should be. We hide too from God. We know it's a useless thing to do, but we do it. We hide from God. We block out convicting thoughts. We ignore them. We postpone them. We busy ourselves with other things and maybe good things. But in doing that, we hide from God in order to postpone or ignore what he has for us. And that's why I asked you at the beginning, are you willing to accept what God has for you? We ignore the voice of God sometimes, hoping it will go away. Because what he is asking just it just isn't who I am. Maybe we might think it just isn't who I am. Or God would never ask me to do that. It's, it's just too hard. It might not be who you are, but why else would he be asking you? Maybe it's who he wants you to become is why he's asking you this. So God is asking you tonight, where are you? Al Bryant says you can never read Genesis 3 verse 9 as though God were a policeman. Read it as though God were a heartbroken father looking for a lost child. Turn with me to 1 Kings 19. First question is, where are you? Second question is found here in 1 Kings 19. I'll begin reading in verse 9 through 13. This is talking about Elijah. It says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break it in pieces, and rocks break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. 
And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said for the second time, What doest thou here, Elijah? That's the second time that question is asked. And God is asking us tonight, What are you doing here? He asks us, Where are we? And we answer that. The next question is, what are you doing here? Throughout the life of Elijah, we find him in tune with God and with his leading. This is the first time we find him somewhere where God had not told him to go. Elijah would go where God told him, when God told him. But we find him here by this mountain and God had not sent him there. In the verses leading up to this, Elijah had just witnessed a tremendous victory of the Lord at Mount Carmel. God had sent fire down and consumed not just his sacrifice, but the altar, the stones, the water, the dust, everything was gone. And then he had gone on and he had just killed the 450 prophets of Baal he had outrun Ahab's chariot down the mountain to escape the rain that was coming after a three-year drought. And now Jezebel was trying to kill him, so he ran off into the wilderness. And that's where we find him. And God is asking him, he's saying, what are you doing here? This is physically, emotionally, spiritually, every kind you can imagine, it is a wilderness experience for Elijah. The question directed to us tonight of what are you doing here is directed to the Christian who finds himself in the wilderness. And I've been there. I can, to a small degree, relate to this. Many of you have been there. Maybe some of you are there. Ronnie Thrower describes it well he says Elijah felt sorry for himself and thought he was the only one left there's three insights he has he says he had lost sight of God he had lost his direction and he was defeated in his mind he had lost sight of God he had lost his direction and he was defeated in his mind and there are times when God will find us in a dry rut of spirituality, where our, the wilderness of our Christian walk is based on form and not on a relationship with Jesus. That can happen. We as conservative Mennonites are good at form. And the question of what are you doing here is directed to the Christian who's Spiritual life is based on form and not on the relationship with Jesus. There's times when we lose sight of God, we lose our direction and our purpose, and we live in defeat. But look 
look closely how these three are connected. He said Elijah had lost sight of God, he had lost his direction, and he was living in defeat. Look how these are connected. He was living in defeat because he had lost his direction and purpose. Because he had lost sight of God. Did you follow that? He was living in defeat because he had lost his direction and purpose. And that is because he had lost sight of God. All three It's a chain reaction and all three are connected. He was discouraged because Elijah had been spoken bad about. He had been threatened. He had not been given credit. And these are all things that we deal with. But what I like here is the question directed to Elijah that is directed to us of what are you doing here is not asked in a condemning way. I picture God reaching down in love with his still small voice and he's scooping Elijah up and he's saying, what are you doing here? I have, I have more for you than this. What are you doing here? Look at verse 15. 1 Kings 19:15. God renews the direction and purpose for Elijah. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshai shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And he goes on, he goes on there giving Elijah a job, giving him purpose and direction again. I just love that picture of God reaching down and he scoops him up and he says, what are you doing here? I have a job for you. And he sends him off. He gives him purpose and direction. God can do the same for you and I. When we find ourselves in the wilderness of our Christian life. He'll reach down. He can lift us up and he'll say, what are you doing here? I have more for you than this. And he can renew our purpose and renew that zeal, restore the joy of our salvation. So as we examine the question of what am I doing here, let's take it as a challenge and an encouragement. The challenge of what am I doing? What am I doing here? Am I coasting or am I climbing? What am I doing? Are you doing the minimum or are you living all out for God? When I hear God asking me this question of what, are you, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing at this place in your Christian walk. I again find three questions within this question. First one, what are you doing? Second one is, what would you like to be doing? And the third one is, what would God like me to be doing? The first question, first answer is easy. What am I doing? What am I doing? That's, that's easy to answer. It's easy to see. What I would like to be doing 
isn't necessarily what I'm doing. What I would like to be doing is difficult, maybe, but rewarding. The third question is, what would God like me to be doing? And that can be frightening. What would God like me to be doing? I think what it boils down to is, how yielded am I to his purpose and his will? When he asks, what are you doing here? How yielded are you to his purpose and his will? third question is found in John chapter 1. We turn to that. John chapter 1 verse 35. And the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day. And it was about the tenth hour. Stop reading there. The third question is a question of focus, and it's found in verse 38. Words in red. What seek ye? Or what are you looking for? First question, where are you? Second question is, what are you doing here? The third question is, what are you looking for? John had just baptized Jesus and as Jesus passed by some of his some of John's disciples followed Jesus and Jesus turned around and he said what seek ye what are you looking for and i think this was a loaded question there was a lot more in this question than can i help you with something this question is asking what are you looking for in life that's what Jesus was asking What are you seeking in life? I find John's response to Jesus here very refreshing, very humbling and refreshing. Did you notice what he says? When he sees Jesus walking, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. As his disciples are leaving him, his disciples are, John's disciples, he's losing followers. They're following Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. To me, that is a humble, refreshing response because he knew what he was seeking. He's following what he's going to say later on in chapter 3. John says, He must increase, I must decrease. And he knew that. And he was fine with that. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. He knew what he was seeking in life. He was seeking to glorify and to lift up Jesus. That's what his purpose was, and he knew it. He was fine with that. 
So the question comes to you tonight, what are you looking for? What seek ye in life? In our seeking, we need to determine what we want and we need to determine what God wants or what is best for us. And as I was meditating on that, I thought, why aren't those two the same? Why aren't those two questions or answers the same? What I want and what God wants. Many times they aren't the same. There was once a man who... I guess he was an impatient man. He went to his pastor and he said, I need patience. Can you help me with some patience? And the pastor said, sure. He said, I will pray that God will send you trials. And he said, no, no. He said, I want patience. I don't want trials. But we don't get patience without a trial. There's where the problem comes in. What we want and what God wants for us aren't the same thing necessarily. So we have to determine that. But I think if we can honestly answer the first two questions that God asked us tonight. Where are you? What are you doing here? It'll be a lot easier to ask to answer the question of what are we looking for in life. few things, practical things we should pursue, we should be looking for in life is wisdom. Proverbs 2 says, my son, if thou wilt read, listen to these verses. You don't have to turn to it, but listen to them. Listen to the, the theme of seeking. What are we seeking in life? My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou shalt incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, liftest up thy voice for understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasure. Betty Goldstein was a lady from Staten Island, New York. She entered the hospital for a procedure and as she was being wheeled down the hallway... She removed her very expensive three and a half carat diamond ring. I have no clue what that means, but apparently it was expensive. She removed her ring and gave it to her husband, who was kind of flustered at the time. He took it and he had a napkin. He wrapped it in the napkin, stuck it in his pocket. And you know where the story is going. He emptied through his threw it out. He ended up throwing it out, and shortly after that, he remembered what his wife had done, what he had done, and he'd thrown it out. And it must have been expensive, because he he called the, the hospital staff and said, I threw it out in this garbage. He said, well, we just emptied those. It just, well, there goes the truck, and they saw the truck going down the road. He called the, the garbage people, and they called their people, and they, after hours of searching, they found it in the dump. They found that ring. What I'm trying to explain to you is how to search for wisdom. What are you seeking for? Are you seeking for the things of God that, that bad? There was a lot of effort went into that. How much effort are you willing to put into seeking 
the things of God. Psalm 34, 14 says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What are you looking for? Psalm 27, verse 8, When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Are you seeking the face of God? Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. That's a short list of things that we are to seek after. But above all of those, covering all of these, Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are you seeking? We know the answer to these questions that God is asking us. We know these things. We've been taught them from little up. We know the answer. But what does your life say? When people look at your life, do they know where you are? Do they know what you're doing there? Can we tell by looking at your life what you're seeking after? Would God need to ask us this? What seek ye? Would he need to ask us this if we spend as much time and effort in seeking the kingdom of God as we do our jobs or material things? Would he need to ask us this if we spent as much time in heavenly things, in his word, as we do on the internet? Would he need to ask us this question if we spent as much time seeking his face as we do seeking entertainment or recreation? God asked Adam and Eve, where are you, when they were hiding in the trees of the garden. He asked us, where are you, when we're hiding behind the busyness of life, we're hiding behind thoughts, just so we can postpone what God has to say to us. Elijah was discouraged and had lost sight of God's purpose. And God asked him, what are you doing here? And maybe you've lost sight of your purpose or your direction. You've lost sight of God and you're in the wilderness. And he's asking you, what are you doing here? John's disciples were following Jesus and Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? There's so much in that question. What are you seeking? What he's, another, part of that question is, are you willing to accept what comes along with following me? If you're seeking an easy, comfortable life, you're on the wrong track. What are you seeking? Not only what are you seeking, but how badly do you want what you're seeking? One closing comment. As we go through the week, ask yourself, God is asking you these questions we can answer them honestly I believe revival can come to our hearts if we can answer honestly answer where I am with God and correct correct what needs to be corrected what am I doing here 
And what am I seeking in life? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in your word. And we thank you for your truth, your consistency. I pray that you will be with each one of us as we ponder these questions you ask. Help us to have the courage to face these questions head on and where things need to be changed that we would be willing to make those changes. I pray that you will be with each one as we go from here. Help us to walk in your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.